0: This sermon, A Gospel-Centered Response to a Gospel-Centered Work, was preached on Sunday, May 22nd, by Derek Overstreet at Sovereign Grace Church, Tucson. Would you stand and let's read Acts 11. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18 this morning. Luke continues to tell the story. Of the first century church. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. What a celebration. (laughs) So, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter, Began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey, and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter. Kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and then all was drawn up again and into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, Three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. And these six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved." you and all your households. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, When we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let's pray. You may be seated. Lord, our heart's cry this morning is simple. Show yourself to us. Lord, open our eyes to your beauty and glory and majesty. Lord, fill our eyes with the wonder of Jesus who came to us to make a way that we could come to you. Lord, above all things, the message this morning is thank you, Jesus, for granting us the gift of repentance that leads to eternal life. May that be indelibly pressed upon our minds and hearts as a result of being here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this week there was a dust-up between... Two well-known men, Uh, if you don't know who they are, that's okay, you're not missing anything, but feel free to look them up. Two men, Bill Bill Maher and Elon Musk, both of them uh, quite liberal men, Uh, and the dust-up was over something that Elon Musk tweeted. Now, I'm not on Twitter, but I got it off the internet, so it must be true, right? Elon Musk is a, is a lifelong Democrat. He's always voted Democrat. And this week he tweeted that due to the condition of the Democratic Party, from moving forward, he would now vote Republican. Wow. Wow. To which Bill Maher responded, I have decided I'm now parting company with Mr. Musk. I'm now parting company with Mr. Musk. Now, however we are inclined to label Mr. Marr, petty, spiteful, mean-spirited, misguided, certainly lost, before we label him, we need to identify with him. By asking ourselves this question, it's a hard question, But I hope by the end we'll see that Jesus is sufficient to help us. What Christian perspectives, convictions, or preferences do I allow to refuse, limit, or part company with a fellow believer because they don't share them with me? I know normally the questions are at the end of the sermon (laughs) or scattered throughout the sermon. This one's right up front. What, What Christian perspectives, convictions, or preferences do I allow to refuse, limit, or even part company with a fellow believer because they don't share them with me? This is precisely what's going on in today's text. Gentiles were saved We heard that a couple weeks ago in chapter 10 and they were added to the church by the mercy and grace of God. But the question is, how would the church respond? How would the church respond to Gentiles being added in? Would it be like Mar to Musk? I'm parting company with you. Or would it be like Peter to Cornelius? Embracing them. As we're going to see this morning, some in the church responded by rejecting them. They didn't want their company because they were different. See, this morning is not about evangelism. This morning is about life in the local church. And though the issues in our text aren't that relevant to us today, uh, I doubt anybody is preaching circumcision to you to be a part of the church The heart of the matter and the message is extremely relevant for us today. And here's what I hope that we can embrace today by by the mercy of God. In the church, people don't have to become like us to be one of us. They know Jesus, and that makes them one of us. That's where we're going this morning. People don't have to become like us talk like us, think like us, act like us to be one of us. If they know Jesus by faith, they are one of us. Now, just to catch us up to speed, our story began in chapter 10. And after receiving a vision from God, Peter, if you remember, Peter went to the home of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile God-fearer. Of course, we learned a couple weeks ago, Peter was skeptical Because Peter understood the law. He understood the law regarding Jews and Gentiles relating to one another. This idea of this uh, uh, food being unclean. Peter understood the Old Testament. And yet, as we saw, Peter obeyed the voice of the Lord. He went to the Gentiles' home and he shared the gospel. Luke told us in chapter 10, the Holy Spirit came in power. And Cornelius, his family, and all his close friends that were there, they got saved. They were baptized. And at the end of chapter 10, in verse 48, it says that Peter decided to stick around and hang out with the newest members of the church. Just like that, and just like Jesus promised in chapter 1, verse 8, the gospel goes to Gentiles. Of course, verse 1 in our text reminds us that the news traveled fast. It wasn't long before everyone in the church had heard how the Gentile Cornelius and his family were saved and were now part of the church. And I, I have no doubt that many Many were rejoicing at God's groundbreaking work. But we learned this morning that not everyone was. Not everyone was. Because when Peter returned to Jerusalem, he returned to trouble. Trouble was waiting for him. Three points today as we walk through this story, and then we'll do a little bit of application. The accusation. We're gonna gonna encounter a fallacious accusation we will, we will listen in on a God-word argument, and then we will witness the only appropriate response to what happened with the Gentile believers. So let's look first at a fallacious accusation. Look back at verse 1 again with me. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were, through, who, throughout, who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. In these first two verses, Luke identifies three groups of people. The apostles, the brothers, which is just shorthand for the church, the brothers and the sisters. And then he mentions this third group, the circumcision party. And collectively, these are the groups that, that made up the church, and, and and it's important to note this was a Jewish church. These were converted, these were Jewish Christians. And that meant, among other things, that circumcision was the norm. That, that was just the norm. Everybody was, the, 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 that was kind of what was expected. The circumcision party that Luke refers to here Really, you should think of them as a subset, that there were a subset of, of the brothers. This was a group that they were known for vigorously holding on. They had heard the gospel. Most believe they believed the gospel. They were part of the church. But there was a group in the church that vigorously held on to the ceremonial laws, the dietary laws. They held on to the centrality of circumcision, which, by the way, was at the heart of their accusation. Notice verse three. Here's how they criticized Peter, this circumcision party. They said, you, Peter, went to uncircumcised men. In the original language, if if you wanted to structure a literal sentence, it would read something like, and Peter, you went to to men who have circumcision, who have the circumcision or have the uncircumcision. In other words, in the literal, uh, in in the original language, it really sounds like a disease. (laughs) And it was to them. It was a disease to them. They were unclean. You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, the first thing I want you to note is: Are you a bit surprised at what the big controversy is here? Um, it's not the gospel has went to the Gentiles and now they are part of the church. How can a Gentile be part of the church? And and, and everybody knew this, including the circumcision party, because in verse one, word spread. That the word of God was believed by Gentiles. The Holy Spirit had fallen on them. They believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thought the issue would have been there. But instead, the, the big controversy is not in the salvation of Gentiles, it's that Peter was hanging out with them. Did you notice that? They didn't say, Peter, how dare you share the gospel? With Gentiles, No, they said, Peter, how dare you eat? Well, it doesn't matter if they believe the word of God. They're uncircumcised. You see that? That, that? That's the big controversy here. Even though these Gentiles are now part of the church, Peter stayed with them. He ate with them. He fellowshiped with them. And in this group's mind... That made Peter guilty of the greatest taboo of their time, identifying with uncircumcised Gentiles. Forget whether or not they've come to know Jesus. It's important to note here that, you know, in in the Old Testament, a, a Gentile could become, a Gentile is just, right, anybody who, Who's not born a Jew. And a Gentile could become, could come to God. A Gentile could become part of the household of God. It it was possible for a Gentile to to, uh, be part of the family if they received or if they uh, uh, received circumcision and they embraced the ceremonial laws of Israel, that they were limited, they were never more than proselytes. But outwardly, they identified as one of God's people through their behavior and through circumcision. And so it's not that a Gentile could never come into the the family of God. But see, the gospel changes everything. Cornelius and his family came to God in a very different way. They didn't come to God through Israel by becoming Jewish They weren't part of the church because they embraced the rituals and traditions of Judaism. Cornelius was baptized. He wasn't circumcised. These Gentiles came to God not through Israel, not through assimilation, but through faith alone in Christ alone. And the circumcision party has a problem with that. Because now you have people in the church that don't look or think like they do, who don't hold to the same convictions as they do. They'll serve you ham, they'll fry bacon with your eggs. They don't really care about circumcision. That's an assault on the circumcision party's traditions and convictions. The point here is that God saves people as they are. They didn't need Jesus plus Judaism, they didn't need Jesus plus circumcision. They didn't need to become a Jew to be a child of God. They had Jesus, and Jesus was enough. So you see the controversy. That they they're not doing it the way we do it. And they got a problem with that. Now, Peter immediately responds to the accusation and he really puts forth a Godward argument, which is our second point here. In verse four, Luke says that Peter responded to their accusation by arguing or by telling them in order. So I think Peter may have seen this trouble brewing. Uh, certainly he, he was very intentional and careful about how he presented his argument. He did it with great care about what happened with Cornelius. In essence, in verses four through 17, Peter says, guys, hold on, hold on. Let me help you understand what happened. First, I was communing with God. Notice what he says in verse five through six. First thing he says, verse five. Or verse four, but Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it and it came down to me. And looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. Peter says, "Listen, guys, I, I didn't. This is. It's not like I had a wild hair." and wanted to you know, disrupt the system. I was communing with God. I was praying to the Lord. I was seeking God, and he gave me this vision. Did you see what he's saying there? This wasn't my idea. <laughs> this was God's idea. God came to me. Christ spoke to me. God gave me this vision. I'm not trying to be a maverick here. He says, I was was praying, and the Lord came to me and said, go. And then second, he says, Jesus spoke to me. Look at verse seven. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean do not call common. I love, he says, guys, this happened three times, verse 10, and then suddenly it was gone. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in in which were sent to me from Caesarea, and the spirit told me to go to them. Again, Peter says, guys, Jesus spoke to me. Rise, Peter. Kill and eat. Now listen. I tried to resist him. I said, "Lord, no. Absolutely not. I'm a resolved Jew. I could just see the circumcision party." Yes, Peter. Way to stand up for the tra- way to stand up for the traditions. Way to keep the cause. Man, you stood up to the Lord? You told God no? (laughs) Peter goes on to say, but guys, you you don't understand. Jesus spoke back to me. (laughs) He kept coming after me. This whole thing happened three times. What God has made clean, do not call common. Lord wouldn't let me go. I tried to resist. He wouldn't let me. Then the vision is gone, the curtain is gone, and suddenly three men, how coincidental is this? Three men appear and say, You need to go with us. There's somebody we need to take you to. And so I went. God told me, don't make any distinctions. Go to these people and preach Christ. Again, guys, this was not my idea. I was just praying, and I tried to resist. But this was God's doing. And then finally, he says, I saw the Spirit's power at work in them. Notice in verse 12 again. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us, How he had seen the angel stand in this house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John will baptize you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit then God gave the same gift to men as he gave us when we believed in Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? In other words, Peter says, guys, we, we got to this house, and he said, hey, the Lord told me about you. He, he, he said, go send for a man named Simon. He's going to tell you about my son. The Lord, the Lord went before me. I know he's a Gentile, but the Lord told him to go get me so I could come preach Christ to him. And guys, as I shared the gospel, I can't even remember if I finished it spirit fell on them and the same thing that happened to me the same thing that happened to you the same thing that happened in the beginning at pentecost and that we have been seen over and over again as the gospel is preached and people are saved it happened to them i know they're gentiles but i'm telling you it happened to them he gave them the same gift that he gave us. And I love what Peter says at the end. Listen, I stood in the way of the Lord once before. <laughs> you know what he did? He looked me in the eyes, he called me, called me Satan, told me to get behind him. I wasn't about to do it again. <laughs> Who am I? Gentile or no Gentile. If the Lord says, I will save without distinction. If the Lord says, do not call unclean what I call clean, who am I? This was not my idea. This is not the way I would have written the script. This was God's idea. I think that's, that's the cadence, that's the rhythm, that's the theme, that's the point of Peter's retelling. He, he doesn't include all the details that we saw in verse, in chapter 10. But over and over again, the thrust of the story, guys, God did this. I know you're upset with me, but how could I not hang out with them? How could I not eat with them? They are brothers and sisters in Christ. God did this. Without distinction. And I thought about how I got here this morning. Thought about how you got here today. Gentiles. Aren't you glad the Lord says without distinction? Because if He didn't, none of us would be here right now. We're the unclean ones. We're the ones that the uncircumcision party would have said, don't open those doors and let them in here. I don't care if they believed in the word of the Lord. They're not circumcised. They don't hold to our traditions and they don't hold to our values. Aren't you glad that God made no distinction when it came? you. And we're not here because we assimilate it. We're here because the Holy Spirit fell upon each and every one of us here who know Jesus Christ. At some point in time, the Holy Spirit fell upon you. Maybe you were pondering the gospel that you had just heard from somebody, or maybe in the middle of being the gospel being shared with you. Or maybe you, you were reading a book and, and, and the gospel came off the pages and gripped your heart. However it was, you aren't here because of who you are or who you were. You are here because God moved in power and saved you. He applied the work that we sung about this morning that takes our sin and places them on a God-man, Jesus Christ, who bore all the punishment for that sin. It's the same message that Peter spoke to these Gentiles. That's why we're here. That's how we got here. That's Peter's argument. This is God's doing. God added them in how can I not break bread and fellowship with them? And his argument won the day. His argument won the day because notice verse 18, our final point this morning. We see this this appropriate and really sudden acceptance. Look at verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, I'd love to know how they said that. So be it. Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted the gift of repentance. Hallelujah. Peter, we're sorry. I love Luke's choice of words here. When they heard what the Lord had done, they fell silent. Now, we know that doesn't mean that they didn't speak because they began to praise God. What Luke means there is the criticism ceased, the objections were dropped. The accusations were halted. They could not stand up to Peter's argument. Gentiles in the church, it wasn't what they expected. It certainly wasn't what they preferred. But God did this and they could not argue. God did this. God prepared and sent Peter to share the good news of Jesus with the Gentiles. God prepared Cornelius and his family to to, to send for Peter. And when he got there, he opened their hearts to hear the gospel message. It was God who revealed his holiness to them and their sinfulness to them, causing them to, to see their culpability before God. It was God who, who gave them new hearts filled with genuine remorse for their sin against a holy God. It was God who gave them a, a new desire for himself, a desire so powerful that they willingly repented, turning from their sin and running in faith to Jesus Christ, believing that he indeed is the Messiah and their only Savior. New desires, new priorities, new purposes, new creation, new hope, new power, still Gentiles. That's repentance unto life. Peter is, what Peter has in mind when he says repentance unto life is they didn't make some life shifts to fit the moment. They no, they were they were made new from the inside. Their faith, wrought by God in their hearts, gave them peace with God, as they stand justified now, because God made them clean, and it had nothing to do with circumcision. It had nothing to do with signing the bottom line that says, you will only eat this. God did this. So the critics did the only appropriate thing they can do. Look what they did. They fell silent, but man, I'll bet you they got loud. They glorified God, saying then to the Gentiles, also God has granted repentance that leads to life without distinction. Listen, all is well in the church by the time we get to verse 18. For the moment. Because this issue would arise again, this idea of You need Jesus plus circumcision. You need Jesus plus Judaism. You need Jesus plus our traditions and our values. This issue would rise again. This week, go read Acts 15, the Jerusalem council, where once again Peter will find himself defending the Gentiles and their membership in the church. It paints a clear picture uh, 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 of, the, uh, uh, of the head knocking between those who continued to hold vigorously to circumcision and the ceremonial law in the church and the, the Gentiles who were now part of the church. Go, go read Acts 21 this week where Paul is in Jerusalem and he is accused. He is accused of allowing Gentile members into the church. Go read this week Paul's letter to the Galatians. The book of Galatians, in fact, is Exhibit A at the Jerusalem Council, most likely. Galatians 2 is is where this would be a problem for Peter again. As vigorously as he defended the Gentiles and eating with them here in chapter 11, in Galatians 2, Paul would have to publicly rebuke Peter because he did continue to fellowship with the Gentile believers in the church but when the Judaizers, when the circumcision party came to town, he pulled back. He withdrew in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a Bill Maher, Elon Musk way. He said, I think I'll part company with these guys for a while. At least while the circumcision party is in town. Go read those texts. You'll see that, that for the early church, this issue would not go away. And truth be told, it still hasn't. James Montgomery Boyce says, we do not know this, we do not have this exact problem today, but we do have something like it. We are glad to have other people join us as long as they become like us. I don't think there's anybody here evaluating somebody's faith by circumcision. I hope not. Or dietary restrictions. But, Let's just be honest for a moment before the Lord. What about the person who listens to music and watches movies that you would never think of watching or listening to? What about the person who loves Jesus? They walk in that door, but their bodies are covered with tattoos and they have a new hairstyle that's a different color every week. What about the family that chooses to send their kids to public school instead of homeschooling? The list goes on and on. Modesty in dress, COVID, vaccines, Politics, medicine, diet, dating, culture, tradition, ethnicity, Sunday liturgy, secondary and tertiary doctrines, all of them are good things. But none of them are the gospel. None of them are the gospel. But, but when we treat them like the gospel we in effect communicate to others that they have abandoned the gospel in a sense and are being unfaithful to God when they haven't. They just don't hold the same value that I do. That's legalism. It leads to condemnation and God hates it. God hates it you'll probably never say if you want to be a Christian you have to be circumcised but we are all vulnerable and and personally I believe we all have little areas I've told the story before and I don't have enough time this morning but but there was a day when, when I would treat you differently because you listened to the kind of music that I used to listen to and I turned my personal practice into a gospel truth and you felt it. If I got in your car and you had something playing that, you know, whatever it was, Aerosmith, whatever your thing was, why you listen to that? And off we go to the races. Listen, we, we, none of us are, none of us or all of us are vulnerable to subtly and I want you to hear this. This is what we do. We subtly turn the gospel of grace into the gospel of assimilation by making our personal convictions and preferences the essence of the gospel. Confessionally, no. Functionally, yes. Yes. My, my personal preferences and convictions are not the gospel, and they are not what it means to be a Christian. Just like being circumcised is not what it meant to be a Christian in the first century. This is what, this is what a Christian is. Verse 18, one who God has mercifully granted repentance that leads to life. There's nothing else that leads you to life. No assimilation, no practice, but the mercy and grace of God that grants repentance and faith. You know, Paul's final uh, words to to the church we mentioned earlier, the church in Galatia, the church being crushed by the gospel of assimilation and legalism. You know what his final words were? But, for, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And then he says this. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That's what it means to be a Christian. To be in Christ. And as a Christian, we, we boast the cross of Christ and nothing else. Doesn't mean we have, can't have good conversations. But we have to be careful. This seems like light years away. Not accepting people into the church because they're not circumcised. And it is. And yet it's right here. The face of it is just different. So, listen to my non Christian friend here. Here's what I want you to know how you are right now, God saves without distinction. He requires that we repent and put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what He requires. You don't have to talk like anybody around here. You don't have to be super hospitable. There's nothing you can do or become or put on or perfect that will make you acceptable to God. There's no character that God is looking for. He came to save the unrighteous. He came to save the undeserving, unclean sinner. And that is what we all are. Some of us are just forgiven. Made righteous and holy for sure. But we don't come on our own merits. We come on the merit of Jesus Christ and him alone. He who lived for your righteousness before a holy God and died for your forgiveness of sin. Who right now is sustaining every one of his children and who will come back soon for us all. Believe in that one, and you will be saved, and you will be part of God's eternal family, not just this local family, but God's eternal and glorious family. If you're visiting with us, I want you to know one thing. There's one thing that defines us here at Sovereign Grace Church, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Not family integration. Not being serious about sin. Not the way we do missions. Nothing, nothing. We identify with one thing. Christ and him. Our boast is in one thing. Christ and him crucified. You want to know what kind of church is this, Pastor? It's a gospel-centered church. That's our focus. Loving Jesus because he loved us first and helping one another do that with joy and obedience to his word as we await his return. That's, that's who we are. Nothing more, nothing less. Finally, to my fellow believer, I want to encourage us all to be sensitive to the Spirit's work of conviction in your heart in this area. I think this is one of those areas that's hard to, you know, I like to give myself a pass. I don't know about you. (laughs) I'm doing good in this. But I think there's something here for all of us. We might not, we not, we, we we might people might not feel the weight of our traditions and our values and what we think it means to be a Christian through our words. Maybe some do, but it can be through our behavior. Is there somebody you're subtly pulling away from? You just won't have over because. They hold to something that you don't. Go before the Lord as the psalmist said. Know my heart. And be encouraged because he'll work in you. (laughs) Second, I would encourage us all to pursue company in the church that you don't normally pursue. I love hanging out with the motorcycle people. If you love football... I'm your huckleberry on Sundays. Come on over. I tend to pursue company that have a lot in common with me. I think that's natural. And that's not necessarily bad. But if it begins to push out others simply because they don't either share something that's dear to you or they have a difference, then you have to ask yourself, how am I viewing them? Because you know what you have That You you know what you share with them? You share Christ with them. That's what bonds you together. Most of us wouldn't be friends if it wasn't for Christ, right? But Christ bonds us together. Christ and Christ alone. Third, discern when to fall silent. We, we, we love conversations and conversations are good. It's good to talk about why do you do what you do and why does your family do this and why, why, does the, why do we do this? And the, those are good conversations. But discern when to fall silent. Discern when to say, okay, I, I might be wrong here. And finally... Be the most passionate about Christ and him crucified. Ask yourself, when somebody spends some time with me, what are they most aware of? How I think one should parent in a Christian household? Or God saved me without Distinction, and for that I am so grateful. What are you most passionate about? How would people, what would, if it was up to them, what would they put on your, what do you call that tomb, the stone? Tombstone. Huh? Whatever, yeah, you know what it is. What would they put on there? He loved Christ. She was passionate about Jesus, what would they put on there? What are you known for? What do you leave people with? Now, that's a good question to ask each other because that might tell you what your subtle gospel of assimilation is. And finally this, here's the good news. Jesus loves to change those he saves. Jesus loves to change those he saves. So we have all the hope in the world. He also keeps those he saves. Amen?